Tonight's a special night. New Year's Eve. And I had various talks prepared before this course and nothing seems quite right so I'm going to add libet tonight. <laughs> I trained with a very special woman called Evelyn Eaton who is a part Native American Indian woman. <clears throat> and she trained me in the pipe carrier ways. And what was most remarkable, although it's not very remarkable at all really, about carrying a pipe in this tradition was that so much of it centered around gratitude. And as I was thinking about <clears throat> tonight, that's what really arose for me, was gratitude. Gratitude that we could all be here tonight with these teachings. Enormous gratitude for the gift of coming to a teachings <coughs> that liberates. I know there are many teachings that liberate and that this is one of them. Nevertheless, when we look at everything that is being said in the world today, there's not very much of it that actually provides the understanding and the technology to liberate ourselves, to come to a freedom of being to come to a place where we really feel in a very deep integral way part of this universe. Not only are there an enormous amount of people in suffering, <clears throat> but there's an enormous amount of people like us in the world today who want to liberate themselves and who yet for one reason or another haven't had the gift of the teachings come to them. No matter how hard these days have been, just sitting here doing what you've done and hearing what we've said is a tremendous, tremendous gift. For I have no doubt that after this course, 
even if you go away in many ways frustrated and disappointed, <laughs> there will be sentences and remembrances that will help you on this path of liberation. I don't think there can be any gift greater than this in life. For this reason, I wanted to start tonight by taking a moment to give thanks. In Buddhism, it's called sharing the merit of the practice, sharing what we have gained with all beings who haven't had the possibility for one reason or another to have this privilege. Let us give thanks. Part of New Year seems to be, in this culture anyway, also to be part of New Year's resolutions. And New Year's resolutions for me are about looking at what's happening looking at the situation, coming face to face with it, as Jack said last night, and using my skill and knowledge to see where I want to go next. This process, in a way, really embodies the heart of the Buddha's teaching. The teachings he gave when he came out of his deep enlightenment experiences sitting under the Bodhi tree. The heart of the teachings in the Four Noble Truths. For when we look at the situation as it is, what we really see is what the Buddha talked about in the First Noble Truth. That is, the deep insecurity, the discomfort, the pain, and also the suffering that is part of life. It's not easy to acknowledge. And it's not easy to acknowledge, especially when we don't love ourselves. I want to take this time then to again reawaken, to remember for us how special and unique each one of us is. That never before and never again will we be blessed, will this planet be blessed with you. That each of us 
brings with us very special gifts, combinations of being that is never to be repeated, never in eternity to be repeated. That each of us is very beautiful. A part of life, an integral part of life, as the day unfolds from sunrise to sunset, as night comes and then back into day, as new shoots come into being, move into flowering, into trees or shrubs or plants, to give fruit and to die. So, as part of this process, each of us comes into being, a new face, lifted, a new reflection of the beauty of life in its coming and arising and passing away. This is a special night to acknowledge our beauty and our specialness, our special qualities and gifts that we bring to life on this planet. To again acknowledge that we're carriers of the goddess and God. We carry her in our being, we carry him in our being, we are her and his reflection. that by coming into life, we accept this responsibility to mirror, to give back to the earth, to plants, to nature, what they can't do because we have consciousness and they don't. So we're able to, in our life, mirror their beauty by reflecting back to them our beauty. When we remember this and the way we are such an integral part of this life, then it becomes easier also to acknowledge the pain that's there. And for the pain not to be separated from the process. Just as there are earthquakes, just as there are tidal waves, so there is anger, jealousy and envy, pain in our bodies, sickness, and suffering. No different, essentially, than the beauty just the expression of life unfolding, the goddess and the god we carry. There's Kali, there's Athena, there's Zeus, there's Arena, a sun <laughs> goddess. Ishtar, all aspects of life, destruction, death, anger, 
the mother healing, nurturing, the young maiden, the wise man, wisdom, old and cold, piercing and insight, the youth, playful, the fool, adventurous, having the courage to go where he or she knows not, all aspects of life. This is what we come into and this is what we bear. <clears throat> life is all of this. And this is what the first noble truth is about. That life is all of this. When we come to make our New Year's resolutions, it's about very deeply acknowledging <coughs> how we carry <coughs> all of this life inside of us, how we can give space to acknowledge Kali, Zeus, Athena, Ishtar, Persephone. And if we don't, if <clears throat> through not understanding correctly what life is about, what we have been charged with as bearers of life, what we find happening is what's called dukkha. holding on to just one aspect of something or pushing away another because we don't want it to be part of life and becoming stuck. Becoming attached to just a very small area of this huge vastness of life that we mirror in our being. Craving just certain parts of it and pushing away other parts of it. Not exactly the behavior of gods or goddesses. But it's what we do. Only because we don't understand the real implications of what this does for us. That's all. Not because we're bad, but just because we don't understand. That by doing this, we create enormous suffering for ourselves. When I sit here and I want to push away my pain, I'm creating enormous suffering for myself. If I think I'm a teacher and I shouldn't experience pain, 
I'm creating enormous suffering for myself. Because the fact is, and the truth is, I have no control over it. I don't, and you don't. To be the bearers of life does not mean to control it. It means to graciously give space to it, that it might unfold, that it might become its own true reflection of itself. This is what it means to be the bearer of life. For a New Year's resolution then, it means coming to acknowledge both that life isn't all comfortable and the processes that make and create suffering around that. The process of attaching myself to certain parts of it to identifying with certain parts of it and pushing other parts away. When I make a New Year's resolution, it means looking at this deeply, looking at the parts of myself I don't acknowledge, the parts of life I don't acknowledge, inside of me and outside of me, for there really isn't so much of a division Then the next question is, is there a way out? This is what the Buddha talks about in the Third Noble Truth, for he says, there is a way out of being caught in the vice grips of attachment, of craving, desire, hatred and greed. He lays out the answer in the fourth noble truth. In the fourth noble truth he talks about right understanding, right thought, right action, right speech, right livelihood, right effort, right concentration and right mindfulness. all of these critical to coming to true New Year's resolutions, helpers to empower ourselves to become what we dream and envision for ourselves as possibilities. Critical amongst these is mindfulness. Mindfulness is key, absolutely key. If we were to forget everything else but just to remember mindfulness, we would empower ourselves 
and we would empower our New Year resolutions. For without mindfulness, there is no way we can empower those dreams. You know, I was born in South Africa and my parents were politically active there. And that meant that as a young child, I was confronted with a lot of quite painful situations. Some were just relatively uncomfortable. We had the secret service and sitting outside our door all the time, harassing friends who would come and visit us. We had special police arrests. In the middle of the night, we, I would hear banging on the door. And it was always in the middle of the night and there would be these huge Afrikaner policemen. Open up, men! You're under arrest. And my parents would have their clothes packed already because they would have been, they, everyone knew at some point or another they were going to be arrested. This was in the, in the um, first mass arrests in, 19, in the early 1960s. And then they would, they would still continually come and raid the house at all times. And then I saw people being tortured. I saw people being shot while they were running away. I saw enormous, enormous amount of suffering and pain. And I was in a lot of pain in my childhood, partly from this and partly from some of the things that went on in my family. And I spent a long time trying to understand how to make sense of it. Because on the one hand, I saw my parents fighting for freedom and laying down their life for it. Not for their own, as white people, but for other people, for the black Africans, for the Indians in Africa. And the enormous generosity of that and compassion of that. And I saw that. And over and over again I'd say, why? You know, why are you leaving me? Why? And they would talk about the importance of freedom. And yet I was in enormous suffering. And I searched very, very self-consciously in my life searched for a way to understand the suffering and pain I was in. For it wasn't just that it was strangers I was seeing being killed. The people who looked after me were black. They were my family too. I had a black nanny and she was my mother. I had a cook and she was my mother. It was my family being killed. We were eventually forced to leave South Africa and we left South Africa and I eventually landed with my family in England after spending a bit of time in Israel. And there as an adolescent I rebelled the way most teenagers did, trying to find myself and I 
experimented with marijuana and alcohol and being a beatnik then and I didn't wear shoes and wore holes in my sweaters with great pride. <laughs> and didn't study at school and rebelled at school and that didn't help. And I got very depressed. I landed up in a mental hospital for a while. I went back to university and got involved in the student movement and it seemed that there were some very valid answers to some of the things that were being said by the leaders of the student movement. And I became a Marxist-Leninist. And I studied Das Kapital, all in the search for freedom from my suffering. And it seemed that there was a lot of common sense in what was said in a lot of those teachings. It made a lot of sense to me and I became very involved in trying to create the revolution. But you know what? It didn't really alleviate most of my suffering. <laughs> then I decided that I needed to go back to the land and I moved to a commune in Oregon and grew vegetables <laughs> and experimented with sexuality and non-monogamy. And there was, there, was some very, there was some very good lessons I learned in living that way too, living communally, learning about that living on the land, starting to connect to the earth in a way that I never had before, but I was still in suffering. And I tried yoga, and I became a feminist, and I related to just women for a while. And while all of these also had much to say for themselves, I still had no way to understand and relate to that deep core of, of suffering, of discomfort, and of questions that I had. I was living in Mendocino. I was relating to a woman at the time. I was in a, a sort of stable marriage type relationship. And a friend came to me and said, you know, I know this woman Ruth Dennison, and you go there and you sit in silence for five days, and I think you'd like it. And I said, forget it. <laughs> she said, Arena, she was also someone who had been in a lot of pain and had been in a mental hospital for a while, so we had some things in common. <laughs> she said, Irina, I think you'd really like it. I'll pay for you to go. So I went, and I hated it. <laughs> but against my will, I was hooked, and I found myself going back again. And I have to say, dear friends, that on this life's journey that I've undertaken, I have found nowhere a teachings that have given me the possibility to liberate myself in the way that these teachings have.
and all that I've tried and all the vast reading that I've done, nowhere have I come across the teachings that have given me the possibility to liberate myself. And it has come right down to the nitty-gritty over and over again if I dropped everything else of being mindful, of continually bringing acknowledgement, of remembering, of being present to what is happening, how this life is living through me, how I'm experiencing it. Over and over again. For this, I sit here and I'm extremely grateful because I really feel as though I have been liberated from enormous amount of suffering that I carried most of my life. And that's why I can sit here and say, I don't think there's any gift greater than the teachings that offers liberation from the suffering that we're in. Looking at mindfulness in a little more detail. Because it's so key. We find it's broken into two parts. General comprehension and bare attention. General comprehension is very, very close to right understanding in that it brings to the moment the understanding of the purpose of what we're doing at any given moment. It gives us the general framework or the context to understand what's happening. That's why it's important when we sit to come to an acknowledgement or to touch again the understanding of why we're here. If we keep coming back to what's called a general comprehension if we keep coming back to understanding the purpose of why we're here, a lot of what we experience falls more easily into place. General comprehension and bare attention, what we use primarily when we're watching the breath, that ability to become like a mirror, but not so far apart in a distant way. Bear attention, that mirror, 
likes to surround the object, it likes to become quite intimate with the object and yet at the same time it doesn't change it, it doesn't manipulate it. It reflects truly the nature of the object, that sensation of the breath, the cold, the tingle, the hot in the pain, the contraction. It likes to get in there and really experience what's happening, but without changing it. That bare attention of really watching in such intimate detail, very clearly, very precisely, like a mirror, but not a flat mirror, one that molds itself continually to the experience. That bare attention likes very much to be connected to general comprehension, to the understanding of why I'm doing this, to the appropriateness of it. They're not two separate things, they're always linked. In the same way that we can have a vision, tonight especially is a night of vision, that's what New Year resolutions are about. They're nights of cultivating a vision of what we would like to have happen, what we would like to manifest in this year to come. And then coming down to the small steps that build that vision over the days, over the weeks and months, over the moments to bear attention in our sitting in these next days, the building blocks. In this way, small is beautiful. Each small effort then we make in bringing mindfulness, in bringing the bare attention back to what's happening in our bodies becomes a building block for that New Year's resolution, for that manifestation of the vision that we have, that's included in our general comprehension, that's included in our understanding of why am I alive? What is the purpose of bearing life, of becoming a carrier of it, of having the gift of consciousness to reflect back to the rest of the world what life truly is about and how can I as a unique being do that best? Both. The small is beautiful and the beauty of the large vision, bare attention and general comprehension. Both acknowledgements in general comprehension I come to a general sense right now. I use general comprehension. I understand in a general way I'm sitting, the purpose of my sitting. I'm sitting here communicating with you. There's a general sense of sensation, a connection to the purpose. And then if I was to close my eyes just for a moment and touch with bare attention, the sensation in my legs. Both feed each other for it's the insight that comes 
from the bare attention, from that moment-to-moment, very intimate contact with my being, in this case with my breath, with body sensations, with states of mind, that I come to see the essential nature of myself, that I come to see the goddess within me, that I come to see that there's no reason for the attachment, for everything is changing all the time, for life is a changing process. As day turns into night, and night into day, so my life is continually changing, breath in and breath out, a rising and falling of sensation in my knee, and I see that life and I am very beautiful in the constantly, constantly evolving process, a unique one of myself. I come to see the truth. The Buddha called it impermanence, non-self, and dukkha. Understanding that deeply and intimately feeds my general understanding and comprehension and that further guides me along the way. Both very interconnected and together. So let's backtrack a little bit. Oh my goodness, time's getting on and I have so much to say. So bare attention is difficult and so it's hard to even remember to have a general comprehension of what's happening. And you're sitting here and you're feeling frustrated with sitting and a lot of people come to me and say, I don't have any concentration, I can't meditate, this is terrible, I want to go home. And so I want to talk to a particular stumbling block to the cultivation of mindfulness in this situation. And that's around form. For the form of these teachings that are presented are not sacrosanct and not sacred. Mindfulness is. Sitting and walking isn't. When we talk about these teachings being a teachings of liberation, it's not liberating some being out there. It's a teachings that give each one of us the tools to empower ourselves. That means when we come to a form of sitting and walking, we don't give up responsibility for ourselves. We don't give over all our power. Try the sitting and walking and then say it doesn't work. 
I can't meditate. I can't cultivate mindfulness. It means here is something you can use as a foundation, a nest from which to fly off, from which to find your own way, because ultimately each one of you is in charge of your own liberation. We aren't. We can just offer you tools. And sometimes what we say might not be totally appropriate for you. We can share only our own paths and the wisdom that has come to us from walking the path that we have. It is up to you to find what works best. I can say to you, sitting and walking isn't sacred, mindfulness is. That means if you are feeling very frustrated sitting here and you feel you want to go, then that is extremely important to acknowledge because it is that process of acknowledgement that is mindfulness not getting anywhere different, but acknowledging this is what's happening to me. I'm feeling really frustrated, just as Jack said, facing the situation, acknowledging it. And then using general comprehension, understanding again the purpose, why am I here? How can I best cultivate mindfulness? Maybe the best way to cultivate my mindfulness would be to have a cup of tea. Sitting down, holding the hot cup, feeling the heat, drinking the tea, feeling the tea move down the throat, breathing a sigh of relief. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not in that meditation hall anymore. <laughs> Creating the opening so that in the walking period, you feel a little more alive and a little more rested and ah, oh I think I can move into walking now and concentration of walking. If there's enormous contraction and you're thinking you're going to go crazy, I can't do this anymore, then remembering right comprehension, mindfulness of the purpose of why I'm here to empower myself, to cultivate mindfulness, I'll use metta. May I be able to sit here. May I love myself. May I be able to create the opening to allow this life to express itself through me. I love myself. May this love allow the next moment to unfold naturally. I love myself. Or it might be just the opposite way around. I'm walking and I'm bored and it's like, Ugh, I'm so bored. This is really a drag and I understand the purpose of why I'm here and I think no, more concentration, come on Arena, you can do it I'm going to break the steps down how many different parts can I find in a step one and I move my toes a little, two I move my toes a little more twenty-one, can you do it, I challenge you I've broken it down to twenty-one sections to a lifting Forward, placing, shifting. 
in this it's enormously creative. Don't, don't get caught in the trap of thinking that this form means we shouldn't take responsibility, very personal responsibility for the cultivation of mindfulness for our own being, for the state of our mind at any given moment. It's wonderful to come back to when we're feeling shaky and we don't know what to do next. But it shouldn't be used to not take responsibility for that liberation process that we're in, that we desire so much. And one more thing around it. Be very wary of comparisons, of thinking, I'm lousy because you see everyone else being so good. (laughs) Remember that equality doesn't mean equivalence. We are each different. We each have very, very different stories. We come with very different minds. What we need might be different at different times. Our way of coming to the creation of mindfulness for ourselves, our way of creating the liberation process for ourselves will never be exactly the same. It is up to us to become creative artists in the cultivation of mindfulness. For it is our life. At the same time, be wary of the ego desire that sometimes tricks us if you're not going to use this form, be wary because the mind is tricky and it can very easily trap us into doing something that might not actually cultivate mindfulness at all. One good strategy is if we're not going to use this form of sitting and walking and we think that what we really need to do is go have a cup of tea Sit with it. Don't immediately act on it. Sit with it for a while and see how it feels. That was a rule I generated for myself, this three-month retreat that I set, because I didn't use the form very much. And one of the ways I, I tried to discern, is this decision a right decision for me, was to say, okay, I'm going to sit here another ten minutes and really see if I can get into it. And then after another 10 minutes, if I couldn't get into it, then I would allow myself. Not that I just sat for 10 minutes, but when I reached what I thought was my limit, I would push it another 10 minutes. And often, just that extra 10 minutes of determination would help me fall back into it. And then sometimes it wouldn't. And I'd decide to go for a walk outside, and that would be the very best thing to do. Don't always immediately act on the impulse. 
give it time and give it consideration. If you feel like you really can't work with the form anymore and you need to do something different, you need to become a little creative. Another safeguard is talk to the teachers in the interviews about what you're doing and get some feedback about it. Jack talked a little bit about his relationship with Achan Shah. I loved hearing about it because I had a very personal relationship with my teacher. And a lot of my relationship with my teacher was one of surrender and surrender to her form. And the surrender was a very, very important part of how the Dharma was transmitted to me. And it, I feel very, again, grateful that I had the possibility to surrender so much to my teacher and to the teachings she gave me. At the same time, it was balanced by me sometimes saying, wait, this is me, and no, I can't do it. So again, come to the teachers, talk about it. Again, work with that place of surrender to the wisdom that's part of the teachings, and at the same time acknowledge what our limitations are and when we really need to say no, no, no. Both are important. It's always a balance. Small is beautiful and the vision. Bare attention, general comprehension. The opening and the determination, the right effort and concentration to cultivate our liberation process, to cultivate the New Year's rev resolution, and then also the acknowledgement of limitation. No, I can't do this now. No, I need to be creative in some new ways. That's okay too. Well, I had a lot more to say, but my time's up. <laughs> May we come to appreciate the beautiful beings that we are. May we accept the gift of these teachings and become bearers of liberation, not just for ourselves through this next year, but for all beings everywhere. May these teachings continue to touch us. Just uh, however much feels appropriate for you at this point. You know, whatever feels relevant. 
whatever is useful for you, for right now. Some questions aren't very useful questions, sometimes. Well, it's wonderful what wanting a rest will bring you to, isn't it? <laughs> I think, I think um, wanting a rest is actually quite a skillful motivation in coming here. I think many of us, for many of us, that's why we do come here, is that we do want a rest. We want a rest from what is really uncomfortable. We want a rest from the places where we do feel imprisoned. And that we want to come to rest within our being. You know, when we want to have a vacation, it's very much about coming to an ease of being. And I think that's what these teachings are all about, is coming to an ease of being. Um, coming to a place where we can um, have the spaciousness to allow however it is to be and that's very restful and it's sometimes a lot more restful than the vacations we take. <laughs> so, um, so actually I think that what brought you here was very, was, was right on. Um, The wonderful thing about this process is that it's a purification process and that what might initially bring us here, even if it's not terribly skillful, will be turned because the process of mindfulness is a purification process and it allows us to start to see more clearly what is healthy for us and what isn't healthy for us. It starts to wean away some of those unhealthy tendencies that we have that hurt us. It starts to help create more balance for us. So that I think it's I think it's okay, I think it's okay to come to where we are, however we have come. Because this process starts in the cultivation of mindfulness to purify. It's again saying small is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs>
and starting where we are. Small is beautiful and it keeps building. Do you, either of you want to say anything? Okay, you know it's 8 o'clock, so I think I'll call it quits. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.